Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding, sitting with Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, we are going to be in New York City. What week is it again? Uh, November 11th. Keeping you on your toes. The week of November 11th. So if you're interested, you're a prospective investor, want to learn a little bit more about our money management services, uh, either through the fund for qualified investors um, or the managed accounts for everybody else, definitely reach out to myself, info at focuscompounding.com. We would love to see you, get you on the calendar. We're going to be in New York pretty much every single day, the city. Um, So if you want to grab a cup of coffee or just talk and learn a little bit more about what we're doing, definitely reach out. Um, Also, if you're watching this over on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, thumbs this video up. And if you're on the podcast side of things um, and you like the work we're doing and you want to make us happy, uh, definitely leave us a rating review. That helps spread the word. We have over 124 podcasts now. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. That's a lot. That's a lot of podcasts. (laughs) So it's been a lot of fun. We're going to continue to do these forever until we're at podcast (laughs) 15,000 when podcasts aren't even a thing anymore. Probably not, but uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. So definitely... Uh, give us a rating review. If you have not do it, we will appreciate that. So in today's video, we're going to be talking about free cash flow okay. plus growth. Yes. Investing the Warren Buffett way. Mm-hmm. The way that he thinks about investing, right? Yes. Yes. So let's um, you know, go over that. Obviously, in all of the checklists and stuff that we've given out in the past, mm-hmm. we've talked about how we need to know that free cash flow plus growth will be more than 10% per year for us to be interested in a stock. And the reason for that is, and we talked about this a little bit in the past video that we did, podcast that we did, is because we think markets over time are going to return 8% per year. So to justify investing in a company, sort of our hurdle rate, Mm -hmm. if we want to outperform, um, you know, is that we want a a business that we feel like can, you know, that will grow um, uh, 10% per year when it comes to like free cash flow plus growth. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe let's go through the way that you think about it. Um, you know what you look for and why that is sort of like a filter that we use. Right. So connecting with Warren Buffett's name is because he talked about a equity coupon. Which yeah, is a very good way of talking about it, which is comparing uh, stocks to bonds and talking about looking for things that would make sense uh, to buy as if they were a bond that you expect to grow over time. So the difference is going to be that normally you're going to um, be paying more, so you have a lower yield uh, in terms of free cash flow paid out to you on um, stocks than you do on bonds. But if he can look for particular cases where he thinks that you could have a really long-term um, uh, coupon, yeah. so uh, you know, in a bond, that would be your interest payment, but in a stock that's going to be your free cash flow, it's going to be your dividends, your buybacks, the actually true owner earnings, he would call it. Um, and then you can have that grow. And that's the important thing. So uh, the return is going to be good enough depending on the trade-offs between those two things. So you, the more uh, yield you're getting today, the less you need growth in the future. And the, um, the more growth you're getting, the less yield that you need now. Now, the math is a little bit more complicated than that for certain things in that like um, – uh, 
trading, switching out of stocks faster is going to perform better, especially when we're talking about things uh, over shorter periods of time. You could outperform by doing that. But the same thing could be true to some extent in bonds if they were really mispriced, like buying true, you know, high-yield bonds or something and then selling them a few years later, you could get a higher return through capital gains. Uh So what we're talking about here is like Buffett's approaches for like really, really long term thinking about it, like buying the Washington Post and then holding it for decades or Coke or something. That's how this is going to work. It's going to really be a good way of looking at things over 10, 20, 30 years. It's going to be a less good way of thinking about necessarily what your return will be over three years where the multiple is going to matter a lot more. Uh And and we always take like a 10-year approach to it. Yes. And why we perform better. So if we think a company will be able to grow... 15% 15% for the next 10 years or something like that, right. or even the next five years. Okay. We, we Our annualized returns typically tend to be better because that return happens a lot faster than right. the five or the 10 years. Exactly. So for us, that does tend to be true, like overwhelmingly true. We go into it thinking about it as if... Um, so these are basically, from a math perspective, these are essentially perpetual bonds, yeah, right, which yeah. which are very they don't exist really in today's market, but they were issued in the past. There are were governments and stuff that issue perpetual bonds. There's uh, they're fairly easy to value from a math perspective compared to other kinds of bonds, but um, we think of it by looking at about ten years. Okay, so we don't do like a DCF mm-hmm. thinking, okay, what will this stock return by doing? You know, here's the first ten years, and then we break that down, and then the terminal, <laughs> terminal growth value. And all, yeah, 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 exactly. Sure. We yeah. don't do that, but we do go out ten years, even though we know that historically we've probably sold stocks, turn them over more like every three years, right? But that's because of a price change. So we think in terms of like ten years to have a certain like margin of safety. Basically, if a stock would return ten or fifteen percent a year over uh, the next ten years then we're probably going to get even more than that if we're right. Yeah. Because someone else will realize that and buy it from us in the first few years. And that's almost always what happens. Now, if we're wrong, then that's why you need that margin of safety for in the cases where you're right to make up for all those cases where you're wrong. So you know what's interesting? I don't know why I just thought of I haven't okay. thought about this in years. The all first right. time that I think I emailed you or when we were first emailing back and okay. forth, I think I sent you a model that all I right. did. Yeah. And I did a DC, there was a DCF in there. And the terminal value, I it was projected out like, very long right Mm -hmm. and i remember you responded saying like you know you don't need to project out 15 or 20 whatever i did okay you know so i think that's kind of interesting and i think uh so i've changed because of you so it's good yeah i remember that you had done a lot of dcfs and stuff before meeting me yeah yeah yeah. and um maybe it was a good exercise to learn you know Mm -hmm. whatever and let's do a lot of dcfs yeah. yeah 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 totally and um you know, but I think it's interesting because we don't do that at all and we don't think about it right. like that. We think about it more from like a Kager perspective. Yes. And then obviously if you think the business could grow, you know, like I said, 15% over the next 10 years, it just happens a lot quicker for us usually. Yeah. Then that's how you get very high returns. But we're already being conservative as it is because if we're thinking from a 10-year perspective and we think it's as long as we're right, you know, and a lot of businesses that we mm-hmm. invest in are very predictable, um, you know, if we're thinking about from a 10-year perspective, and that's still going to outperform our hurdle rate, which we yeah. think is maybe the market plus our fee or whatever, because mm-hmm. we have to justify the investment. Um, you know, you're already being conservative straight from the beginning. Yeah. And I think you said that uh, the experience in computer services changed some of your views about totally. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and now even... Oh, go ahead. I mean, but I was just yeah. going to say, I mean, investing in computer services and seeing how great of a business it was, how predictable it's been, mm-hmm. how it's only had you know, five to six percent top line growth, right. but that also translated into a you know sixty percent annualized return over right. whatever it was a year mm-hmm. and a half. Um, I think it's raised the bar for the type of companies that I personally look for now. Mm-hmm. 
where if I look at, you know, let's say a snapshot of their return on equity or the return on capital or mm-hmm. their margins or whatever, if they're not stable, you know, then I'm just like, I'm not even interested in it. If, and yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, and no, no, with zero leverage, for example. Right. Yeah. So it's really raised the bar for me for the types of companies that I think we should, you know, look for. And we were able to do that because we're so concentrated. Right. If we ran a portfolio with 50 to 60 different stocks or even 20 to 30 different stocks, mm-hmm. you know, you can maybe justify, oh, I'll put a little starter position on right. for 4% or 3%, whatever that number mm-hmm. is. You know, so I think it's raised a bar on the type of companies that personally I look mm-hmm. for, you know, and bring to you. Yeah. And I think so using the equity coupon idea with computer services. So we bought it at a price that would have been somewhat over a yield of 6% on a free cash flow basis. And it probably would have been expected to grow somewhat in line with nominal GDP or something. So you're buying at like a 6% yield that's growing at like 5 or 6% a year or something. Normally something growing at like 5 or 6% a year with that kind of incredible, um, uh, predictability into the future and stuff. And, you know, I mean, we could get into it, but computer services, I had, you know, 20 plus years probably uh, around that uh, consecutive growth in sales, earnings. I mean, dividends would have been 40 some years or probably more like that in terms of growth. So it just has a high level predictability and stuff like that. That kind of thing would normally peers, uh, historically, other stocks like that with those same characteristics would trade it more like a free cash flow yield of 4% or so. So what's happening is if you have a yield that you're getting of 6 to 7%, let's say we bought it. Um, which just so people know, it's just uh, you just flip the uh, PE ratio, or whatever you're looking at. So in this case, free cash flow and earnings are pretty similar. So um, if you're like six, so I'm saying like 16 times or something is equivalent to over six percent yield. Yeah. So you take like a six percent yield that would normally be more like a four percent yield. So why you get such a big return that a stock can go up fifty percent or something is that it's basically being re-rated by people to say, oh well, if it has a six percent free cash flow and can grow five percent or more a year then really it should have more like a 4% free cash flow and grow 5% or more a year. And so that re-rating, which is the same thing you'd see in like a bond, it's as if you had a bond that people thought there was some danger with or something it's and like had a kind C. of yield. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then it improved to being solid investment grade. Then you're going to get a significant capital gain on that. And that's what happened with something like computer services. So do you think our investing style was much more betting on A, the business, you know, continuing to do the same mm-hmm. thing that it's always done? Um, you know, and just being incredibly predictable, durable, et cetera. Um, but then really more so the sentiment of the market changes to where they just re-rate the type of yeah, stock. I, and I, I would agree that's how it is. Yeah. yeah. And same sort of thing with like NACO. So NACO is another good example, although totally different than computer services because of the way the yield is. So again, looking at it sort of like a bond. When I first looked at NACO, it was priced to me significant. Like if we're talking, if we're comparing stocks to bonds, it was priced as... <laughs> extremely distressed right Mm -hmm. so here's a company that had like no um debt no net debt it had contracts um it wasn't really except in one case having to put up a lot of capital there was just a lot of things about it that generally were pretty um safe looking yeah but it's in a terrible industry in terms of the long-term future right Mm -hmm. that might make a lot of sense if the yield is five to ten percent like deciding oh should it be a five percent yield should it be a ten percent yield is hard to know but when we bought it it would have been about a 15% yield and it would have been real too. Mm-hmm. So that's significant because uh, although there are stocks that trade at something like 15%, um, yields, so like let's say in this case, we're talking more like single digit, seriously mid single digits type P yeah. ratios. Mm-hmm. So they would normally have either a lot of debt or they're expected that they're cyclical and that like this year's earnings aren't going to be like the future earnings. NACO's earnings were all under contracts that were running like 13 to 29, 30 years, something like that. So all 10 to 30 years. 
It all came from that. So basically, it was pricing in they are going to shut, like their customers are going to shut down, and they're going to shut down fast. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, we talked about um, just even in five years how much of the purchase price you get back. So again, that's a significant re-rating. Just if it re-rates from like 15% yield or something to more like a 10% yield, and in Naco's case, the yield, they also increase their free cash. It's almost more. like we're approaching it for all the analysts out there from like a reverse DCF perspective. Right? Yeah, what's the what's market the, currently pricing yes. it at? Naco, it, they're pricing as if they're, their minds are going to get shut down. Right. Right. So I think that's why I always say, I think, you know, a lot of the way that we invest, it's really just betting on it being business as usual for the mm -hmm. companies going forward, as opposed to we're buying a company for, you know, 30 times earnings or 30 times EBITDA. Then we're betting on it continuing to grow sales by, you know, 20% right. per year. And then, mm -hmm. you know, getting the effect of operating leverage or something like that, where earnings are going to grow even more than that, you know? Yeah. So like using the NAC example, it would have been like a 15% free cash flow yield and it would have been expected to grow like 3% a year in line with inflation without winning or losing business, right? So if that was the case, normally that kind of thing would have a free cash flow yield more around 6% to, yeah, 6% probably, um, to 10% or something in yeah. that range, 6 to 9%, let's say, versus here we're having something that's like 15%. So you can see why you would have like just a 50% or more gain, uh, if you do the math there, on the stock just because of that. But remember, that's not actually how we um, do the calculation, which is... Uh, the upside calculation that way. So what we're laying out here about why this happened so quickly in some stocks that you got a big return is a re-rating by other people of the stock. The multiple changes. Yeah, too. the multiple yeah. changes. But when you read something on Value Investors Club or something, usually it'll be more like that. It'll say, okay, well, it's trading at six times free cash flow. I think it'll eventually trade at 12 times free cash flow. And let's say that happens in three years. Then I'm going to get 100% return in three years. Let me compound that. Okay, I'm getting a, you know, whatever, 30% or 20% or whatever yep. return. We don't really do that. Instead, we say, okay, let's look at NACO. Let's see what the return would be over 10 years. Mm -hmm. If we had to hold it for 10 years, yeah. would we do fine? And if we do, then our upside beyond that is all going to be taken care of by someone taking the stock off our hands earlier in yeah. that 10-year period. Yep. And so we really don't focus on uh, – like we look at the adequate return, right? We just say, can we beat the market by owning the stock for 10 years? All right, can we match or beat the market or whatever? How sure are we of that? And if we're sure of that, then we don't worry about our upside. Our upside is going to happen because someone's going to re-rate the stock faster mm -hmm. than we expected. We're not going to worry a lot about figuring that out. Um, it just will happen. Ten years is a long time, so it'll happen a lot quicker than that. And to put that, I guess, in perspective, using the NACO case, mm -hmm. is that we, in the uh, investing process, didn't even factor in the natural gas, Utica, um, you know, the shale and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So if we thought we were going to outperform the market over 10 years just from them doing business as usual, yeah. and then they happen to earn a ton of earnings from natural gas, that was just sort of the cherry on top of the cake. It's kind of yeah. like uh, Monish's uh, heads, <laughs> I uh, win, tails, I don't lose too much. <laughs> yes, yes. Which which is interesting because his approach is totally different from ours. Yeah, yeah. Right? And and I he's a very good investor, and I'm very interested in reading what he has to say. Yeah. And he says some really smart things. I read an interview that he did with, um, was it the uh, Columbia, yep. the newsletter for Columbia's business school? Graham and Doddsville. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that, yeah, was yeah. Good, that was a good interview. There are a couple of really smart things he said. But his approach is very different from ours in that he looks a lot more in the shorter term. Um, can I make my money back? Like, can I double this in three years or something? Which is not something that we ever do. Um, we really don't do that. And in cases where we've done asset plays and stuff, it has not worked out as well as um, looking back in, when we've been managing money together and also um, just in my whole uh, past managing money for myself and other people. 
Um, it's always been the case that the outperformance has come entirely from these sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. really has. Now, sometimes they're cheap and sometimes they're not. That's the other thing that's a little tricky about it. But that's why we talk about free cash flow yield plus growth. It's that it's an inappropriate um, uh, yield and growth situation together. Yeah. So computer services, some people would say, like I said, if you do the calculation when we bought it and then looking so let's say forward there was no forward estimate because there's a tax change thing which is a little complicated so basically uh there was a tax cut and the peers of uh, computer services rallied as you'd expect about 20 to 25 percent which mathematically is how much they should go up if the market expects that they won't share any of their um tax cut with like uh, other people because of like uh, Porter's Five Forces sort of stuff. You knew it was a strong business. Yeah, yeah. So basically a tax cut from 35% to 21% in the corporate rate, that's all captured by the company. So the stock needs to go up like 25%. So the others did um, and computer services didn't. So as a result, if we're looking forward, we'd be saying, okay, there's like a 7% yield or something, plus it'll grow a bit, like you know 5% or something. A lot of people looking at it would say that's not a value stock. Because like a 7% free cash flow yield, that's pretty normal. But we're saying this is such a, like, this is like a triple A type thing. Um, it shouldn't have a 7% yield. Yeah. Yes, there are companies that are risky enough that you should have a 7% yield. Yeah. But here, this is the kind of thing, if anything needs to have a low free cash flow yield, it's a core processor, mm -hmm. you know? And so we would buy something Meaning like that. Meaning that it should trade at a higher multiple. Right. You flipped it around. Yes. Yeah. Whereas, with, with, whereas with NACA, we were not saying this should ever trade at a 4% free cash flow yield. We weren't saying that the business was more predictable than other businesses. We're saying that the premium is just too big. Um, if you looked at like the average business at that time, you were getting like probably 10% more a year in NACO uh, in terms of cash that would build up onto the balance sheet and free yeah. cash flow mm -hmm. each year that you owned it before things like the the um, royalties and stuff by owning that stock versus owning another stock. Yeah. That's a very significant amount of premium to put on a stock. And so it's there were other coal companies that were as cheap. There are other coal companies that were cheaper like on a leverage basis and I ignored them. Um, it was because of the structure of what NACO had, which I felt was more to compare it to bonds, more investment grade worthy, more you were better protected in the stock. Um, and so when you have a yield like that, and then you have surprisingly good protection in terms of the durabilities of the cash flows, then that's something that I'm very interested in. Totally. Right? Yeah. Whereas like you could get the same free cash flow yield or higher in um, probably GameStop, uh, Taylor Brands, which is like men's mm -hmm. warehouse and stuff. I'm thinking of some ones like that where probably the free cash flow was at least as high or higher sure. than yeah. NACO mm -hmm. uh, on a leverage basis, Entercom, the radio stations. But I worried. How predictable is that future though, right? Right. And they were integrating a merger and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's just very different. They weren't all under contract for long periods of time. Retail stuff, you know, yeah. that I'm not big on retail in terms of how quickly the customers can go sure. away. Yeah. Um, so just in terms of like contract mining, I felt was so much safer than that kind of thing that having a yield in line with those those kinds of stocks seem to me surprising that way. But a lot of people would say like, well, coal is as bad a business as department stores or something. But I just thought the cash flows on NACA were safer than say the cash flows on yeah. like a distressed department store. Yeah. yeah. And so getting back to the quality perspective for everybody mm -hmm. listening, if they want to add to their, you know, the way that we do it, for example, right. is that look for companies that have long-term contracts. Look for companies where it's business right. as usual. They've been doing the same thing for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, incredibly sticky businesses and look for companies that have high retention rates. That's the number one thing that we care about. CSI Industries, the retention rates, 
um, you know, I mean, with well, long-term contracts are nine plus years, right? The yeah, recently the customers, contracts and then the years, retention yeah. rates are, you know, probably, I mean, we don't know for sure, but north of 90%, probably 95% yeah. customer retention rate. Probably, yeah. And you even spoke about at the Willow Oak event, how in the American Banker, they spoke, they said a company firing CSI Industries um, would be like doing open heart surgery on somebody without using anesthesia, putting them yeah. under, right? Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't happen. It would be such a right. crazy and They're talking thing. about all core processors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I think looking for those types of businesses, and again, that's where it gets back to the way that we invest. It's really, we're betting on it being business as usual, and then eventually the market kind of finding out that this company's just trading incredibly cheap, you know, from that perspective. Right. Yeah. And you're thinking about it like, um, thinking about it, starting from thinking about it like a bond makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, because you, 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 that way you're focused on the downside and you're saying how, like, how sure is this basically? So like, if you look at the case that we're talking about, those sorts of things, those retention rates, the fact that you don't think that there'll be a big change in the industry. Yeah, or how predictable is that coupon? Right, right. exactly. Yeah. Is why you, you then have that. Instead of where a lot of people look at it is like, well, what's the chance that it'll go up a lot, that that coupon will grow a lot in the next few years. Um, the, the big advantage to it is, and why we look at the 10 year thing is, if the company, if you're right about the company in terms of predictability and stuff, you're going to have a low free cash flow yield eventually, um, a high price. Because yeah, uh, the price is going to go up. Because yeah. other people recognize that and want to pay for it in those future years. So you'd be surprised by that, that your safety is higher than you think and your ability to sell at a high price is higher than you think because it will be re-rated that way. And and when I was successful early on in my career investing, um, a lot of times it was similar in that finding something that actually was high quality that people didn't recognize as high quality. Like I invest in J&J Snack Foods, which is like super pretzel, icy, yeah. things like mm-hmm. that. Well, that stock is now like a, th- I don't I didn't check it recently, but probably over 30 times PE. Yeah. But I bought it at a, uh, just above 10, right? And um, But it regularly traded at like 10 to 15 times earnings or something all the time, even though it was growing every year and had grown for many many years and it was a food company and it was like convenience food that was at uh, events and things so things that were sold in movie theaters and at stadiums and things like that which is probably safer than something that's um, competing for shelf space yeah, in, in yeah, yeah. supermarkets and stuff there's lots of stocks that traded at 10 PE right but seeing the difference between something that is like has no cyclicality is that kind of predictability and stuff and something that does have those things uh wrong with it is that your chance to exit is really easy like after a few years jj would never go back jj snacks foods would never go back to a multiple like that and it was the same thing like i've talked about investing in um village supermarket when i had a p of five or six or something but I thought it was a really good supermarket business. And that's the difference. There are supermarket businesses that operate on almost no margin and stuff. They might trade again at five or six times. But, you know, once uh, Village got re-rated, it stayed re-rated permanently, basically. It mm-hmm. stayed in the teens, PEs and stuff because it then was recognized as like a safer supermarket. Yeah. And so finding businesses that are safer and that are highly predictable and that create value over time. And so one one way to do that that I think would surprise people um, that we do because we're value investors is we will look try to find the longest term chart of a stock we can find. Yeah, 
And we really would prefer that this stock is trading now at a rate that means that it's compounded well in the past. Mm -hmm. And even something like NACO, actually, despite being a coal company, had compounded for decades at a fine rate. Yeah. Um, we're worried when we find situations where the stock has not gone up over that time period. Now, for multiples, that's fine. So, like, if it started at a really high multiple and it's been re-rated a lot lower, okay, that explains it. But otherwise, we want to see the company adding value, at least in line or better than the stock market. Yeah, so we're betting on, and the way that we think about it is the predictability going forward mm -hmm. as opposed to crazy growth. Yeah. So, I mean, in my opinion, if you're, and I, I know a lot of people, you know, this whole capital like compounder right. thing that a lot of people focus on yes. and buying, you know, value investing, still being value investing, paying, you know, 20 to 30 times EBITDA. I mean, we, somebody was giving us some flack, I think when we, I produced a, a video on, I, th I can't remember what it was, investing in overlooked stocks or something like that. And they said, well, you're saying, that a company like Apple cannot be undervalued because it's such a big company. I'm like, I'm not right. saying that. I understand right. that a company like Apple could be overvalued and other very large companies. But I just think, um, you know, an Apple's sort of the rare case because it was incredibly undervalued. Mm -hmm. But we're just operating in a space where, A, there's a lot less people there fishing and playing. So for everybody that is, um, you know, watching, listening, it could be a good place for you to invest. Because um, it was it was the Buffett 1.0 point versus 2.0. Okay, yeah. And he was saying that, I'm saying that, Buffett 2.0, you still can't find inefficiencies. And I understand you still can, but I do think you're betting on a lot more than you could be in the Buffett 1.0 space. There's a lot more predictability in there because you find a lot more different ideas that could be trading cheap. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easier to buy Seize Candy, which was a low market cap. Uh, it was a private transaction, but a small company when he bought it um, versus Apple or something. It's harder for him today. Yeah. But even if you look at Apple that he bought, look at when he bought it. He bought it after Buffett today, Buffett 2.0, yeah. bought it after its rapid growth phase. He bought it when it started to make a lot of money from services and from people who already had iPhones um, upgrading to the latest iPhone. Yeah. When he realized that customer retention was high and when he realized they could sell services and stuff on it, that's when he did it. He did not do it the first time everyone got their first iPhone. Yeah. It was still a risky business at that point. And, and getting back to my point too, it's like when people pay you know 30 times EBITDA for a stock. Mm-hmm. And they post earnings, and the top line still grows by 20%, and then yeah. the stock's down after right. the earnings. Why is that? Because their outlook isn't as high. You're yeah. really paying for future growth. So it's a lot more uncertain, I think. Yeah, It's the invest and then verify mindset, where the way that we do it and the way that you know everybody listening, you should look to implement this. If you want to invest like Jeff and myself, do mm -hmm. what works for you, whatever, is stick to businesses that are very predictable. You're almost handicapping it from like a reverse DCF perspective, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's more conservative to invest that way because you're not betting on future growth and that the market's going to be happy with that future growth as opposed to you're betting on and you're investing on the predictability and then that over time, people are going to you know realize and re-rate the stock. Yeah. And if you think about it, there's sort of two ends to the spectrum. Um, there's like the deep value end, which is betting on super high free cash flow yield, and it might even uh, be negative growth. But, but that's I'm, a very levered company and very right, you know, right. crummy. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you have people who are betting on growth but might be willing to buy at extremely low free cash flow yields yeah we tend to operate almost in the middle of that in terms of the spectrum in that what matters is you have to have a trade-off so if you have super high growth um then you uh then you can afford a low free cash flow yield but if you have a high free cash flow yield you still have the problem that you have the potential that it could shrink we've I mean, we really don't tend to invest in businesses that have no growth or that shrink. 
Um, they tend to have a little bit of growth at least. And we don't tend to invest in businesses that have like no free cash flow yield. Even when we talked about like paying up for computer services, that's still a yield that's fairly a normal yield. I yeah. mean, like a P of 16 or something with no debt is actually a pretty normal price for stocks generally over the last century or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we bought something at like a normal yield that we thought was a really uh, high quality business, a way above average high quality business. And with something like NACO, we bought something at a very high yield that we thought was closer to like an average business than people thought. Yeah. Right. We're willing to do either one, but it's sort of that. I feel that you, people often feel that they have to commit to being the super high growth type investor, you know, growth investor, or the super value investor, yeah. right? And actually, if you do the math, you can get it in any combination of free cash flow yield and growth over time. And a lot of what Buffett does, which is why we're we're talking about this as his thing about equity coupon and stuff, yeah. is in that middle. The Buffett 2.0 thing is not high growth, yeah, but it's also not super devalue. It's it's saying that companies that consistently create some value over time for the really long term, you buy them when they get a little cheap. Yeah, that's the thing. People talk about the. Um, the kinds of businesses he buys, right? And they compare it to like Coke or whatever, say these compounders, right? Mm-hmm. But he doesn't pay very high prices for them still. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, like still he didn't pay a very high price for Apple or whatever. Um, so it's still trying to pay like an average price for an above average business. Yeah. And yeah. he's really just betting on the predictability of that business going forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, that is the end of the podcast today, man. The past two podcasts this week, this week yeah. has been great. So <laughs> if you like the work we're doing here, uh, definitely give us a thumbs up, subscribe on YouTube, leave us a rating and review. Go to the Focus Compounding homepage and sign up for Jeff's email that's going out every two weeks. You will get a watch list in your email box. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. If you are interested in meeting up with us in New York, uh, definitely reach out to me, info at focuscompounding.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along.